I am Simone Cipriani and I am an officer of the United Nations. And I'm Claire Press and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist. You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. Welcome back to Series 2 of our podcast. I enjoyed the last series a lot and I am very happy to be here back with Claire and with you, our listeners. Ah, me too. A big thank you to everyone who joined us for Series 1. If you're new to the Ethical Fashion Podcast, we are so glad that you found us. Now, this series, we're focused on Africa. We're going to be bringing you stories from the continent and the diaspora, from designers, artists and creatives to big voices from business and the environment. And But also, also, I wanted to say something about why Africa for this series. The EFI, you know, has been helping to bring African fashion designers to the world stage for a long time now, since 2013. We had started our work of the EFI with African artisans in 2008 in Korokocho, a slum of Nairobi. So this work with the African designers is the second stage of our growth. And on top of that, this is also a time when African fashion is capturing the imagination of the whole world and in a new way, while at the same time, and this is very important, talking to their own markets And I think this is very interesting and very beautiful to focus on African fashion leading the conversation. For our first episode, we were lucky enough to sit down with Virgil Abloh, who is one of the most interesting designers in the global fashion industry today. He is the artistic director of menswear at Louis Vuitton, as well as the creative force behind his own brand, Off-White. But his work certainly doesn't stop there. This conversation with Virgil is very inspiring, isn't it, Simone? What can we expect? can expect, as you said, an incredible conversation with a person who leads by example, with a person who is extremely busy because he does 20,000 things as he wants to mentor other creatives simply by existence, by doing what he does on a variety of platforms. And we, we can expect a conversation with a person who devotes time to us, to this podcast, to the listeners, to you guys who listen to this. And also someone who really dedicates time to the practical work of mentoring the next generation of black fashion designers and creatives. Not just talking about it, but doing it. Even creating platforms to to offer more mentoring opportunities to people, but even doing mentoring, one-to-one mentoring, even engaging, as you said, in very practical activities, in in a very practical work. We'll be talking about Postmodern, his recently announced scholarship fund, which is designed to foster equity and inclusion in the fashion industry. It's providing a million dollars worth of scholarships to promising students of black, African-American or African descent. And on his website, he talks about this and he says, systemic change starts at the grassroots level from the collective efforts of people taking action and lifting up their own communities. And he says he's committed to helping ensure that this social revolution is not just a moment, but a movement. And he says he hopes to inspire others to fuel lasting progress in their own communities, companies and industries. I can only say this is an incredible experience, believe me. I can't think of anyone better to start series two. Let's get to it. Absolutely. Hello, Virgil. Hey, how are you? I'm doing so well. I'm so happy to meet you over here, over this podcast. You're many things. 
you are an innovator, you are a designer, you are a DJ, you are an artist, you are an entrepreneur. You seem to do everything and you do everything well, but you are also an activist. And there is the need today, there is a huge need for activism. We seem to live in a world which is full of the seeds of, of hatred, of division. A few days ago, our Secretary General of the UN, speaking about the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, was focusing on the problem of racial inequality because these problems seem to plague our societies because they seem to be everywhere. In his words, they are a repudiation of our common humanity. In our opinion, it seems that they seriously damage the social capital of our societies, which is to say the capacity to collaborate towards a common and shared future. And now fashion is a collaborative industry at its core. Uh, creatives work with product developers in the supply chain. People work together. In your opinion, this is the question. Is fashion something that can contribute towards regenerating the social capital of our societies? Yeah, I wouldn't call myself an activist just because there's people that do that specific work that deserve that title and all the glory. I consider myself a human being that makes stuff. <laughs> you know, I would say that all genres of humanity contribute to the way humanity operates. There's a famous quote by Buckminster Fuller that says all systems operate in the way that they were designed. So collectively, if we're unconscious, the systems that we live in are operating with 100% efficiency to how they were made. Hmm. So if we transpose a new value system based on the past history of things that were incorrect, then we can redesign a system to operate in a better manner that relates to our knowledge and our evolution. So things like art, culture, music, fashion contribute to our reason for living, you know? And so when you reverse the logic and you say, who is awarded the opportunity to make these things, then you can start to look at the imbalances that humanity's existence on earth has lulled us into thinking that, you know, the systems of creation should be engineered into only as an awarded few rather than the people as a whole. So long story short, I think fashion is at the crux of that. You know, it's an industry that doles out identity. You know, mm. if we were naked, we would probably be a version of equal. But once someone puts on some garment and another person puts on another one, then you start judging each person by each garment, et cetera status and identity and belonging, but also communication. I love the idea that clothes bring us together, but it's interesting that you talked about clothes separating us as well. You know, humans will divide, and it's the same as if we were in the forest and we needed to understand which plant to eat and which one not. You know, now we have a range of other ways to use that side of our brain to sort of segment people so that we can understand, you know, or control 
I love that you mentioned Buckminster Fuller and I was madly trying to find this quote from him and I couldn't find it. And I love that you mentioned all these areas of work as systems of creation. This is so beautiful and it is so true. Systems of creation. I read recently on creation and on collaboration a beautiful interview of yours with, with Maurizio Catalan, the Italian artist. And you were speaking about collaboration and it seems to me that your approach to fashion has the capacity to lead through uh, complex and difficult conversations around the world of today, making them more, more understandable. How do we use fashion to promote a positive conversation on the values that we need for a more equitable and a more just world? Human rights, uh, respect for diversity, mutual respect, equality, can all this be part of a dialogue promoted by fashion and art? Yeah. You know what? I think we're more of a, we're more in the sort of danger zone of certain realms of those things called art and fashion. You know, it's, it's not, and this is only my answer now, you know, it might change in 20 minutes or it's all informed <laughs> by the conversations that I've had earlier today and the last couple of weeks. But I think this is like a, a hypothesis that that logic of that question speaking to regular people is almost preaching to the choir. You know, you don't, if I go to a hundred artist studios from all over the world, there's no problem in creating and finding diverse art. You know, if I go to Africa, if I go to the Middle East, if I go to Australia, you know, there's amazing people doing amazing things in their studio. So what I'm sort of hearkening on is the change just needs to happen in what we call the industry or the mechanisms at which those things that are being created by humans being allowed to be put on a pedestal, literally and figuratively. So you could deduce, it's like, who, I say this in fashion all the time, it's like, at the end of the day, there's figuratively 30 of us, you know, designing for the whole population of the world. You know, that's a figure of speech. Like there's, you could put us all within a stadium. You could put us all in a hotel conference room and everyone could be there. If you do that with art, you know, you take all the best guys, you, you go to, you go to Basel, everyone who's there and everyone who's critiquing and writing about art, they're human beings. You know, it's not an artificial intelligence that no one can find them. And it's asking them the question and looking at each other's faces that you will see, you know, and so that's what I mean, preaching to the choir versus preaching yeah. to the one that define what we're, what's the issue, you know. So what, we've got too few people at the top deciding to what we will pay attention to collectively, do you think? I think there's just, no, not too few people at all. It's the makeup of those people. It's the makeup of the it's system, the, the business model. It's the education based, you know, like if you ask somebody, if you group that whole sort of like that governing body and you say, you know, name me five cities within Africa or five countries, you know, with that answer. If you say, name me five restaurants in Paris, you know, you'll get a fast answer. And that's just a figure of speech to explain that. I think what 2020 and even the, the context of this conversation is you know, we're having this conversation in 2021. This conversation wasn't being had in 2019, but it's always been existing since man sort of conquered the earth and started drawing lines in the sand. 
saying this land is yours, this one's ours actually, you know, like, and so it's all a dialect of our past, you know. And speaking about this, speaking about behavior, speaking about change, so I will stick to fashion for a second, not to art, but can fashion contribute to systemic change in areas such as inclusivity and appreciation of diversity? There are many initiatives now, many initiatives going on on this, but does fashion have a power on this? A hundred percent. You know, my short answer is it has a complete power. It's the industry that tells people their value. You know, it's made up of a bunch of different voices, but by this to feel like that, you know, this is this, that's that, you know, these lines in the sand. So I would say yes. Wow. But we need to reform the whole system. Can fashion be part of, I always think about fashion as leading and reaching people who perhaps would not be reached by some of these conversations, if not for fashion, I don't know. Like it's kind of like this Trojan horse, you can get it in the way and then get people thinking. But what do you think about that? I don't know. Like, has it got this power as a conduit, I guess, for difficult messages? Can fashion be the conduit for... for Hard stuff, tough conversations. Like, can it be a soft entry, maybe? Yeah, 100%. But again, like what we've sort of just uncovered in this conversation, it's not the people, you know, it's, it's the select few who have the power to characterize or to answer your question in a different way. There's, there's hundreds and thousands of designers who carry forth very, like, very stern messages about what clothes and underrepresented people, but the system doesn't recognize that, you know, they, they're not, it's not published, it's not written about, it's not carried in stores, it's not given the same opportunity as others. So again, it's not, it exists, but it's not being put or given the fair share in the whole overall ecosystem. So then you end up with a discrepancy between what real people want and what they're given the opportunity to participate in. Mm. You're actually taking concrete action to change that with Postmodern and the Scholarship Fund. You mentioned education before. I wonder if you could outline what that initiative is and talk to us about raising a million dollars to support black students in the US. Yeah, for me, you know, you know, it all sort of like evident of my career trajectory, right? Like, you know, my parents are from Ghana and West Africa. They moved to the south side of Chicago, which is a predominantly black neighborhood of low income and high violence. They have me and I'd go on this trajectory to learn and study art and architecture. So from my estimation at that point about how the world was working, I was like, I want to exist within spaces of high art, high fashion, culture, you know, provocation, but then realize that there's a subcontext of rate. You know, I look different. You know, I realize I look different because of my skin color, but the systems also recognize me as different. You know, they label the work as, streetwear they say uh, it's not a designer they say that it's not art you know like they say that you know xyz the list goes on but you know i have a clear depiction of what i need to do which is working an insane amount you know maybe like 10 to 1 like a scale of work and consistency and projects and, and sort of like telling my own narrative and not waiting for a narrative to come back to be written 
about is my work valuable or not. And so now I'm 40 and I have a mountain and I have a way of communicating that. But I say all that to say that the traditional role of designer or artist with a capital A, designer with a capital D, existed with a certain requirement, you know, and that requirement was just only to be a magician, basically, you know, like to make and channel energy that other human beings couldn't. And the more you could do of that, then the, the higher up on the pedestal you are, which is valid. You know, it's, you don't need me to say it's valid or not. That's what's in every history and art book on your coffee table right now. But in the age of now, you know, so you've had a civil rights movement ending in the end late 60s, you know, in 70s. Then you have another one in 2020. I was born in between both. I exist to to say, hey, the, the artist with a capital A and designer with a capital D can be different, but they can also operate in a different way. So my practice since the very beginning is open source. It's educational while it exists. You know, I give out the codes. I do these sort of talks. It's a mentorship by existing. Not Ooh, what a beautiful not phrase. Mentorship by existing. It's beautiful. It's true. Yeah, rather than being like, hey, the wall is up. You can't get an interview with me. You can't hear about my inspiration. You can't see anything I'm working on. I come down and I put something and I go away. I learned like that. You know, I learned in the internet age. And I learned that in my past, I was never given a license. And if I had learned that I could license myself, then my future would have been ready-made from the beginning. And so the postmodern scholarship was just replicating my history so that young black students don't have to get licensed from outside sources, but they can also tactfully have money and a mentorship program and someone who's tied to that so that they can get on the rung of the ladder to hopefully get to the top. And I say and do all that as a means of changing the role of a designer and artist with a capital A and D. You don't just exist. There's also a social responsibility to have the platforms that you do at a certain level. And, and you can see that today. There's many people don't engage in the discourse at all. You know, that's acceptable on their own terms. I'm not here to say what anyone should do, but leading by example, my practice, it's equally important the runway show, the art exhibitions at the museums as speaking about these issues because it's not going to change if everyone's silent. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's about dialogue and conversation. Again, dialogue is the basis of civilization. You know, we try to do to manage an accelerator for emerging fashion businesses, young designers in, in the African continent in several different countries, and we've done some mentoring. But, but this seems to be the favorite activity of many international organizations you have uh, the African Development Bank, the UN, a lot of foundations that are willing to mentor new talents in the continent. What are, if I can say so, the takeaways from your experience with postmodern? What can we learn? What can we do better in, in these? And maybe also, like I was thinking, what do the students tell you? Exactly, exactly. No, it's the... It's to me, like, this is the funny thing. When people hear about, like, diversity and inclusion and, and uh, they think of them as, like, scary, 
you know, they, they're like, oh, we have to interrupt the way that we were doing something before just so that the society can feel like we're a part of the forward part of the conversation. And what my message is from doing the work is that that's the actual source of inspiration. That's the crux of the industry. And it, it's a funny context. You might think the crux of the industry is like, going to Paris and or Milan or London and debuting some beautiful gown and all the writers and people of the fashion industry gasping for breath, being like, <laughs> this is the most amazing <laughs> thing I've ever seen, you know, like, or whatever, doing an art exhibition yeah. opening at the Guggenheim and having the whole industry applaud because this is the best pyramid of civilization ever made. Like, what is it? Let's tangibly put it in its category. Like, a review from the whatever newspaper saying that this person is, you know, on a pedestal and should not be touched. And this is the best or sitting like I've been doing with, you know, 20 some year olds at the beginning, very beginning of their career coming off of a global awakening about the disproportionate access and face to face, giving them the tools and reorienting things that I wish Somebody had told me in my 20s and I'm 40 now and seeing their face light up and seeing this like jubilation, even on Zoom, to be like, I see myself in the world, you know, like I see how the world is less daunting, but I can make an impact. And you're actually giving me tools to get an education and how to go about my education or start my own brand. To me, it's very obvious like, which one is better? Which one is more fulfilling? It's that part. And I'm saying if you split open the face and role of artist designer with the capital letters and say, are we nurturing and ushering a new generation? Or are we, you know, resting on the laurels and accolades and things that you can't even sort of quantify just to feel like you're at the cusp of the industry? And for me, it's not one or the other. It's both. It is extraordinary how much time you dedicate to this outreach and you talked about mentoring by existence, but actually this isn't what most people who have, or perhaps, I don't want to you know, finger point at your peers, but it could be in any industry. If you've got big jobs and you're on top of your game, most people don't spend the time to say, I think I'll Zoom call with a 20-year-old student. I mean, it's obviously so valuable, but it's something that I guess people say I haven't got time or bandwidth. When did you sort of figure out that, actually making time for this was something important enough for you to really pursue it? Or have you always sort of brought this with you through your work? I've always brought it with me through my work. You know, it's you're also sort of getting a deep cross-section of a brain of a, a minority designer, you know? And this is something that's like an important note to grasp on is that being Black means that you have more weight to bear as a human being. You know, it's that simple. The world isn't set up to sort of just be carefree and be too busy. Do you know what I mean? You, get, you literally, if you're too busy, that's like humanity on Mars just being like something that can happen in 10 years. You know, oppression is real. You know, we're on the anniversary of Ahmaud Arbery, a black man going for a run, being shot and killed in the middle of the street. You know, there's no difference between him. They don't know that I someone doesn't know that I work at Louis Vuitton or I have a show at the ICA in Boston or Brooklyn Museum or or whatever. And that's that can happen. I could leave this conversation now, go to the corner store and be dead (laughs) for nothing other than 
he was going to do X, Y, Z, and I didn't know. And like, that's why I deliver this message. It's like, you know, I could, but it, to me, I'm not a whole human being. You're not, I'm, you're not getting the most authentic version of me. If, if my practice and what I care about and how I care about the world, I want to change in my lifetime. With all your activities, you create so many possibilities of mentoring, even if you are not on Zoom directly with the person. They can follow you on the Instagram, on the TV, everywhere. Mentors by existence. This is a beautiful concept indeed. That's the practice. You know, and I admire roles. Like I think of Andy War. I've been thinking a lot about Andy Warhol. I was going to mention that. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking a lot about him in the last six months over this lockdown period because I think, you know, of course people get enamored with the aesthetic and the persona and everything, but he was able to sort of teach by existence. Indeed. That his art practice was fluid with pop culture and the new technologies and mediums and the way people were reading brands, the way that the real person interacted with art as well as the small population deems as, as art. And so... I think that, as you mentioned, like an Instagram post is much of an artwork as a 300 garment, 100 look fashion collection. Dave. You know, I put the same amount of thought and work into each. Not one is higher than the other. You know, something that I made 20 years ago as a student, like my thesis in architecture, the the skyscraper building is just as valid as a, you know, as like a, a new Nike shoe or something. There's no hierarchy. I feel like now is the moment to talk about imaginary TV. Indeed. It's part of the mentoring by existence, isn't it so? Yeah, that, that, that's a hack. You know, imaginary TV is a pure hack and it's re- pure realization. It's an artwork in itself. It's a platform. Fashion limits itself if it's sort of occupied by just garments and, and presentation of them. If you zoom out and look at all fashion shows of the last 30 years or you know, since the 50s or something, it's all the same. You know, it's not like literally, of course, I honor the greats and those that, you know, there's been enormous amount of inventiveness from from all the known names, you know, from the couture houses to all the ones that have been unacknowledged, all the countries all over the world that have produced fashion, that have great moments that just didn't end up on the recording (laughs) tablets of fashion fashion. But all that to say, what we're seeing is that there's a limit to which garments can speak to the world and people. And imaginary TV was born out of that limit and thinking and pondering about it, like an existential question. It's like, does the world need another fashion show? What does fashion show mean? What does a brand mean? What does a fashion designer mean in 2021? Very different than 2020. And so I decided that a television station, which essentially is a platform to give underheard, underrepresented talent a basis for their artwork to be seen while wearing off-white. Sometimes not, you know, like the thing about off-white is you don't have to wear it to be in the tribe of off-white. And I think it's largely, it's like one of the first, I pride myself on that logic where it's like the first of its kind, because I've always looked at fashion as tribalism. Like, you have to wear XYZ designer and I have to wear it. So then we feel like we're in the same code. But I produce Off-White. To be within Off-White is to have this sort of 
awakening in your mind. It's not something you put on your body. Like off-white is a way of thinking. It's looking at the existing world and saying, is that, is that valuable? Yes and no. You know, that's what the yeah. black and white between off-white. So I like thinking that we're in the same tribe and we don't have to put on the same garment or same logo for us to sort of be like, hey, this is fashion, you know? And so that's a profound idea. So imaginary TV is like, it's a TV station that doesn't operate on fashion schedule. It operates 24-7 with new content of new artists. And it's an artist with 1,000 followers in China doing Tai Chi, right? Doing something valuable, but not maybe the world doesn't see their, their platform or their art. They're on imaginary TV. It's graffiti artist in Milan, some of the best painters of our lifetime, painting today like it's the, you know, the 80s in New York City. They can have their work seen all across the world. And mind you, I've made this platform taking the, the DNA and energy from fashion and making a platform. How do you select them or who gets to participate? That's where the designer comes in. Like people like designer of the past was like sitting on a model, draping a piece of fabric and, you know, cutting the pattern and which is all beautiful and all fine. This is 2021. Uh, you know, I sit with my t on Instagram, I'm texting artists, I'm finding new talent and I'm saying, hey, can I help you extend your reach or make more people see, you know, almost the role of a curator. And I'm again, I'm fusing that. Mm. to the role of designing the clothes and adding on top because it's, it's refreshing to me. It gives me the feeling like I'm doing something for the world. And mind you, they're diverse talent. They're talent that's not just black and white. You know, they're from Asia, from Australia, from, from Africa, from San Francisco. You know, it's like, this is how I'm taking to task the idea of diversity. It's not just putting models on a runway saying here, you're the hanger for the moment. Like, you know, it's like respecting the person behind it and they have talent. So imaginary TV is all I had to think of. The rest is doing itself. For listeners, this is a quote that Virgil used to describe imaginary TV. The idea stems from a modern poetic vision for and of the ever more virtual world. Simone and I, when we were planning this, we were yeah, talking about indeed, how does indeed. this stuff, yeah, we had all these questions about what do you reckon happens with the, digital realm and the does art have to exist in the physical obviously in 2021 we're all living virtually and talking through a screen but how do you see the fashion show and art and I know somebody you've got questions about this but evolving into this digital space and is it enough and Simone, what, what were you going to ask about this? Especially, especially artists, you're absolutely right. Because at the beginning of, of this pandemic, we saw the crisis of theater and the huge crisis for performing arts. But now for the first time, we see some of these artists that are capable of raising some income through digital performance. Is there a future for this? What do you think? There is a future... What I love is that we're on the, like, it's like two tectonic plates where earthquakes happen. You know, it's like actually happening. It's like the, the quarantine pandemic wasn't just for three months. So we could snap back into the way we are. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And that's a good thing. It's forcing us to really adapt to this fact that we carry digital devices in our hand. Now we can really advance. And I hope that that's why all these changes are urgent. 
that these advancements actually make systemic change. So I think digital and physical are 50-50. You know, it's all about innovation right now. You know, I, I think like rest in peace to Steve Jobs, but imagine what Steve Jobs would be working on right this minute, given the situation uh, that we're at. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like that's the North Star, you know, like there's such ripe, this is what you want for a thinker and a theorist and an artist and a designer, you know, you know, the ones at the leading edge of tech, you see technology is booming right now because it's, it's a, it's, we're at the tectonic plate of shift. And I understand from what you say that you really have a passion for representing reality, not as reality, but your idea of reality. I saw your, even your shows, your shows are like theater, theatrical representations of reality, your vision of reality. Do you think, would you, let, let me ask you a very personal question, sorry for that. Would you like to engage in theater? Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Like, I, I, you know, I wasn't a kid sitting around my, you know, with my skateboard back in the day being like, I want to be in theater. But I, for one, I don't believe in, in disciplines. You know, I don't believe yeah. in titles. So I never have, you know, I don't even know properly what that is. <laughs> I look at it as a construct of man or education or compartmentalizing so so people can understand it. And so my latest work sort of just dreams out loud. You know, it's like I take I take an idea and I think about the best way to communicate it. The idea of film is interesting to me. You know, before I was into fashion shows, like I said, yes. like the lights, the, the you know, the theater of that, because we're not able to meet in person. I'm into making films, but I, you know, I've always thought of theater as like this very high up on the, the sort of hierarchical pyramid of creation, Yes, you know, next to architecture, next to, you know, urban planning or something like that. Yes. But I recognize the immense degree of difficulty. I, you know, the greats in theater to me is an art form that even as a, audience member I can't even tangibly put together you know yeah. screenwriting in itself is like something immaculate and that's an art form unto itself so I don't claim that I can do everything but I can think of systems and teams to do things that bend the rules. Perhaps this is a good moment to touch on the Louis Vuitton Full 21 show you mentioned teams do you want to talk to us about that show and the styling. The last Louis Vuitton show is just kind of like the state of the art for me. It's one of the artworks or expressions from myself that digs into the deepest part of my brain. You okay. know, the part that I don't, I have a theory of not like, of how much I, of my own self, I get to the outside world. You know, it's, it's not, there is never going to be a hundred percent because that's just not the sort of economy of scale that the world works in. You know, like if you give a hundred percent, there's, there's extreme repercussions for that. So that show, you know, it digs into my heritage. It digs into where I'm from. It digs into the mentality of diversity, the mentality of what it means to exist in a world or in a, in a space that 
has layers of understanding, misunderstanding. You know, it's very dramatic. That's those scenes are are drama. You know, yeah, I'm proud of it. You know, it's the latest. Could you tell us about James Baldwin and particularly that piece of work, Stranger in the Village, as an inspiration? But perhaps if listeners aren't aware of James Baldwin, would you just tell us who he is? Yeah, you know, James Baldwin is one of the most valuable black intellectuals. You know, all those that came before me are doing the exact same things in even more poignant ways, which is, you know, dedicating a large part of their life to trying to get the world to understand what's not written and taught. Like, and so he was a foremost thinker, writer, figurehead in the civil rights movement that operated in plain sight. You know, he was, he, he was a figure of culture. So he wrote this piece called Stranger in the Village about him experiencing oppression by systemic racism in America but then he went to Europe, which totally gave him a different vantage point on something that he thought was akin to his experience all over the world. And he goes to Europe and finds a completely different experience, some similarities and some vast differences. And so it's a seminal piece of writing about what American black experience is in Europe. And, you know, I'm a traveler. I spend a lot of time in Europe. I have my own stranger in the village context, but this story has been written many, many times. You know, Miles Davis chronicles his time in Paris as well. And the sort of, you know, he had a freedom moment where he realized his creativity didn't, you know, suffer the fate of oppression and in the same way. And so he was able to create things in a new way and, and lift his spirits, but also the realities that, he has to, you know, return. And so I channeled my own experience off the premise of James Baldwin's seminal text. And that became the context for the backdrop for the Louis Vuitton show. Can we talk about collaborators? It's important to talk about my staff and the team to pull these things off. Ibrahim Kamara is a stylist across Louis Vuitton and Off-White. To me, he's a modern genius. You know, I think of him like Caravaggio in the Renaissance. Wow. Yeah. He can make a T-shirt and jeans look like something from a painting rather than something from the store. And that's my lens and that's what I see. And, you know, we create in an exchange. You know, you see those looks, you see the ideas that I have. They find a synergy. But, you know, the Josh Johnson an amazing performance artist from Zurich at the moment, you know, did the movement, Wu Sang directed the film, you know, Asmara did the music alongside Benji B, Tosh doing, you know, the drama as well as Candace Williams. You know, it's like these talents are all from very diverse modern idea of inclusion and that's not the marketing you know that's just where the energy comes from is when you you make a collective like this i have a question a personal question what's your favorite caravaggio i know that you worked in rome yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny my favorite it's hard to choose you know because it's like like my story with caravaggio is like linked with this epiphany 
that I had as a student studying art was that, you know, I wouldn't, if I didn't come across Caravaggio, you wouldn't be talking to me about Seriously? dead serious. Because wow. I was an engineer at the time, but I would always go study and imagine this. You could imagine because the engineering department looked like trash. <laughs> I'm kidding. It didn't look aesthetically. There was no energy about it. You know, it was like very practical. There was no style. The, the, the libraries were very cold and had no inspiration. I would take my engineering books and I would go to the art library on campus, which is like this amazing brutalist building built yes. like in the 60s or something. So it was like this brutalist. And yes. inside of it, there was a museum next to the library. And I was like studying art history, reading, listening to classical music with my headphones, doing engineering. And I come across Caravaggio and the Italian Renaissance. And the moment that I realized that he invented Caroscuo, where you're painting with light, was the moment that I realized that art wasn't just something that was for people to put on their walls to sort yes. of exude wealth, that you could invent within art and that you could capture something that was magical. And so that's when I knew that art had like its own language of representing people. So then I studied architecture after that. And then, yeah, so the crucifixion of St. Peter. Yes. It's, is my favorite one. It's of all an incredible time. painting, absolutely. But the inspiration of St. Matthew, you know, when I lived in Rome. Yeah, in San Luigi dei Francesi. Exactly. Yeah. And so I see, you know, right around the, to the, the name of the hotel that I lived uh, was just to the, it was out the right door. So I could see yes. it. Incredi an incredible painting with the light that drops on that finger of that hand and yeah, yeah. and, and Saint Matthew like saying me are you calling me and that's when I believe in art you know those moments like that incredible and, and can I, I jump from one thing to the other please excuse me can I ask you about about Ghana you said before your parents uh, came uh, to the U.S. from Ghana, and and I read somewhere in an interview of yours about you seeing your father wearing cantacloth, the wonderful, the magnificent cantacloth for family occasions and uh, and celebrations. What, what do you have a relationship today with Accra, with the local fashion and art scene? It's a very vibrant place, Accra. Yeah, I think. You could imagine me at age 14 or whatever, American kid, but obviously, you know, both my parents' first language is gone, so to speak, the yes. local language. And, you know, you're like, oh, we're going to go to Ghana for the first time. And then seeing the sort of like almost polar opposite, you know, the gutter in the street is open, the streets are chaos. But there's a natural beauty to it, you know, and but I realize you realize, you know, if I hadn't if it hadn't been for my parents to decide to give us opportunity, me and my sister, I would be the kid just there. You know, I would be happy just the same. I would probably be inventing or enjoying myself, doing something creative, but I would have a completely different life in a completely different world. So I distinctly was like, hey, 
let me be thankful for the opportunity that I have, but I have a true understanding of where I come from. And I mean like the house that I come from, the, the actual, my father's house, like where I would have grown up, you know, like unpacking that. And it's like, when you go back to America, obviously there's a different experience. The African-American experience is very different than Africa. So within culture, it's not, there's no real room to be African, you know, like the clothing, the food, the the mannerisms, the, you know, everything. That's a very, that's very different. The, the two, and that last collection, of course, I'm recalling, you know, like when my dad would go to a, a graduation or the, we had Ghana Fest in Chicago, him and all his friends would get together. He wouldn't wear a suit. He wouldn't wear a European suit. He would wear kente cloth, you know, over his shoulder. And that is that's a fact of my reality. It's not pop culture. And the reason why I put it in the Louis Vuitton show was because not sharing cultures on that stage gives people complexes and makes them feel like their culture isn't a part of the ecosystem. Meanwhile, things like tartan, you know, plaid, those are cultural yes. fabrics that end up as a normative thing in fashion. And they feel like Anyone can wear it, and it feels like a celebration of that. So I put both of those in the same collection as a true statement, as a way forward. You know, how do fashion shows look like in 2021 versus how they looked like in 2019? And me, if I was 14 years old and I saw a Louis Vuitton show with that music and that style and that flair, and I saw people wearing Ken, I might have gone to school. I might not have been so private with my cultural heritage i might have been free and i might have felt composed to celebrate that and share more of that and that's what it gets back into what i was saying is the social responsibility of these positions is that you know whether you choose to or not engage into that i read somewhere where you had said or perhaps you said it in conversation with tim blanks i can't remember but I read somewhere where you called yourself an optimist and you said that that's essentially your state of being. What makes you optimistic and how optimistic are you about us redrawing the future? You know, I'm 100 percent an optimist. It's the only way of being, you know, to be anything less means that your time on Earth is diminished. It's, it's that easy, you know, like, of course, there's impossibility. Imagine if our forefathers you know, the good ones only. The good you ones know, only, yeah. Imagine, like, Galileo was like, ah, uh, I don't know, you know. I don't know. Steve Jobs was like, ah, uh, yeah. you know, I don't really care, you know. We don't get greatness yeah. out of anything less than optimism. We started off talking about the social responsibility of designers and artists. Let's perhaps end on talking about the possibilities for the next generation who are hoping to get there. And there was a story in Vogue about the skate park that you had helped support along with Daily Paper in Accra. Do you want to perhaps talk a little bit more about putting that social responsibility into action in a grassroots way? A lot of things that I've been thinking about, like I need to read some books and send me some if you, any philosophers or thinkers, that have zoned in just purely, screw what we're talking about, that have zoned purely about humanity and multiplicity, right? Humanity and multiplicity. Like from individual to multiplicity. So I'm going to Google 
Like, what's the world's population? Seven billion. Yeah, I'm seeing like eight billion. There's three of us here, right? And there's eight billion people in the world. <laughs> Out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Eight billion people and there's three of us having one conversation that'll exist yeah. amongst trillions of conversations. And what can we actually change? Right? What are we resolving? Like if we if we make a loop on the conversation, what does that even mean? And so if you think about like solving racism, it's such a big problem that very hard to close that loop. But what you can do, or what I often think is like, say I meet someone on the street and they're like, hey, I need you to help me get into fashion. Or I need to help you get, if I get that one person in, it, what does that do to the whole, if I meet the next person, I say, hey, I can't help you. And I say that as my approach is just like, I, you see my economy of scale and why I do everything at one time in different spaces that I can do because those kids, you know, I'm developing skate parks in Accra and Lagos. Like I Lagos also. Yeah. Lagos and in Accra fundraising design, engaging the local youth. It's under this umbrella called product of Africa, which is me. I'm a product of Africa. So it's called like off white product of Africa. That's basically my point. It's like helping one person won't do anything. Figuring out systems sort of gets there. Leading by example and making it the status quo. You know, like United Colors of Benetton, great product of Italy. When I saw those advertisements as a kid, it reoriented me as a way to put art direction and a message together. May, may I ask you a, a favor? Yeah. Whenever I, I meet a person who thinks like you, an interesting person, I always ask a favor. Can you suggest me a book? Yeah, have you read uh, Rem Coolhouse's content? No. Yeah, that's my book suggestion. That book changed my life. Rem Coolhouse, the architect. Order it on Amazon. You'll you'll get it by tomorrow. Yeah, that'll be a good, that's a good ending question. Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion. And don't forget to share the episode with your friends and with colleagues and with anyone you think would benefit from it. We love it when you tell other people. Blah. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> can you help spread the word? and share our story with your friends on social media. Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, we build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can lift themselves out of poverty. Not charity, just work.